We are so blessed here that sometimes during the week, I feel like I'm not quite at my highest self, or maybe I'm getting caught up in the effects of my life. One of the things I love about this center is our spiritual director always redirects us, puts us back on the path, gets us in touch with that higher self, our spirit. Will you welcome with me our very own spiritual director, Reverend Dr. Patrick Cameron. Got to get one of those. All right. Sweet. Good morning. Happy um, long weekend. One of the things I love about being a Canadian citizen, there's a lot of holidays that you get to participate in. Like that. They don't do that in the States. Don't tell them, though. All right. So if you'd like to stand with me and sing, that would be wonderful. And if you prefer to stay seated, that's a great thing, too. In this very room, there's quite enough love for all the world. And in this very room, there's quite enough joy for all the world. And there's quite enough love and quite enough power to walk through our every fear for spirit one spirit is in this very room in this very room in this very Recognize with me this unseen life, this life of the divine spirit that goes by many names and many traditions, but it is so immediate in its availability for you and I. And it is not just in this moment, but in each moment that we are aware of it and aware of our deep abiding connection, for it is truly who we are. It is our authentic self. And so I stand with you in this moment, and the reason for this invocation for myself and my welcome for you is that in stepping into that awareness and stepping into that way of being, I am shifted and changed, and I put things down. I put down attachments and ideas and limitations that do not, that do not allow me to be that divine, clean, hollow vessel of, of divine receptivity and expression. And so I know this day, the music, the fellowship, the vibration of the Most High that we step into, our practitioners, all the prayers that have gone into creating and sustaining this beautiful spiritual community continue to deepen in a powerful, wonderful way. You and I stand on the threshold of something magnificent and something powerful and something mysterious and something potent and beautiful. And the doorway to that is our awareness, our thinking, our possibility thinking opening ourselves to something grander and more lovely. And so I'm here today to make my declaration publicly that I am ready, willing, and able to continue to do my own work, my own house cleaning, and my own inventory that allows me to step into an even deeper and greater expression of the infinite in each moment.
So wherever there is, uh, wherever there is healing that is necessary, this vibration of the Most High offers unconditional support, whether it be physical, spiritual, or emotional. And so I know that that covers the gamut of possibility. So we stand together in the abundance of life, knowing that we are resourced powerfully and wonderfully. Stand together knowing that our physical forms, whatever the discord may be, is brought into balance and harmony, and we are guided and directed to the right healthcare practitioners, the right modalities, the right awarenesses within our own being that no longer support this discord. I know that the creative expression in my life has an opportunity for greater expression and freedom in a powerful, beautiful, wonderful way. And that all of my relationships are here to guide me and direct me, and they are a result of where I am in consciousness and my perceptions of others, how I judge them, how they judge me. So I give thanks knowing that all this is available to be adjusted, shifted, changed, released, glorified, magnified. You and I get to choose. So may our conversation this day be grounded in that awareness that to learn how to think is to learn how to live. May my caliber of thinking be more fully orbed this day as a result of our coming together in gratitude and appreciation knowing this is true for myself and knowing it is true for you if you are in yes with me in this moment I give thanks releasing anything and everything unlike what I've just declared I give thanks knowing that this infinite divine intelligence in and through and as me is conspiring in every good way for my great good as it is for you for this I give thanks and together we say and so it is Good morning. Good morning. We had a um, we had a really wonderful uh, one, wonderful and kind of how it unfolded this morning. But we had a uh, used to have a glass table here, and I had those green crystals from Abhijandi on it. And we were doing our prayer circle when we came in today. And at nine fifteen, we've we've started a practice which is quite lovely, and I, I just look forward to it. We we stand in a circle together, and musicians join us, and the practitioners and ministers that are here. And we do a prayer. We ground ourselves in, in, in the sacred awareness and prayer. Pardon me? And volunteers. Correct. Thank you. If, if I miss a piece of it, just throw, let me know and I'll add it in. Anyway, and volunteers. Um, but anyway, we had a table here and it had the green crystals on it from Abhijandi and it got knocked over and everything broke. And so I thought, um, and I thought, isn't this appropriate? Now I, I, and, and so I, I have all the pieces. I we threw the glass away because it was safety glass and all that good stuff. But the point I'm trying to make with this is that when it happened, I had no attachment to it because we don't believe there's power that, that anything beyond us can be powerful. There's an energy in the, in the crystals. And I know that because I have some at home and I've given some as gifts. I tried to get some for everybody, but I could only put 70 pounds in each bag. And so... Um, um, but I've been sharing the crystals um, and all, I have shared all the crystals I have to share. But there's no magic in the crystals. We still have to do our work. We still have to look at our life. So that's why you, when you go in our bookstore, you don't see crystals there. You don't see a bunch of, of, of touchstones. And yet it's the power and the consciousness we bring to it. So they broke. And, and, the, and my, my immediate response to that was I was just grateful that no one got hurt because I'm not attached to the crystals, although the crystals have wonderful, uh, a wonderful energy about them. And so I just want to share that with you because I'm talking about attachment today. In fact, do you know why the, um, the Buddhist does not vacuum in the corner? Because they have no attachments. <laughs> anyway, I forgot that. They didn't get that at the first service, but I'm awake now. Yeah, yeah. So anyway... Um, 
Today we're talking about and inspired by the five levels of attachment by Don Miguel Ruiz Jr., who's going to be, as Reverend Catherine so beautifully said, be with us next, um, next week for the workshop. And so I thought it was appropriate to use some of his, his um, material because it's a great book. And see, what I'm after, you know, we are a, you know, we're the center for spiritual living. And for me, what that means is the transcendent experience. And the transcendent experience is that moment, those, those moments of perfect quiet in our being, despite what's going on. It's not just that all the conditions in my life line up so all of a sudden I can have this moment of peace. But it's what, in fact, what spiritual living for me is that when all that stuff is going on, I'm able to have the awareness and the ability to step out of it and realize, you know, this stuff's going on. But it doesn't, I don't let it define me. And that is such a huge concept. It is so powerful. Because it doesn't mean we don't care. It just means we understand our relationship to this divine presence that, that, that animates all of life. And that divine presence is no more present in this community than it is in many sacred communities and many homes and many environments where people come together in a, in a, in a prayerfulness and an openness to that experience. We just, you know, our approach, I think many of us came to this because there were so many distractions in the tradition that I was involved with as a young man that I didn't think lined me up as, as beautifully as this for me. And so it gives me a context from which to live my life, which I love and I appreciate. So there's, there's many levels of attachment. I'm going to touch on them real quickly, and then I'm going to show you a video that I think illustrates attachment uh, quite nicely. So level one is the authentic self. It's what I've just been describing. It's that connection with that source of life that we all are. That the perfection, as Dr. Holmes said, there's a, a perfect, whole, and complete. And the challenge for many of us is that in our thinking, we don't feel perfect, whole, and complete. Like, how can I say that? I'm not perfect, whole, and complete. And I, everything's not perfect. And yet, there's an essence of us, there's a perfection to us that needs no manipulation, needs no change. It just simply is. It is that pristine moment when we're born, when our parents hold us up, and, and if they did, and they saw that, that perfect potentiality in us, and the love, and the possibility. And then life happens. We get domesticated. And, 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 and everyone's been domesticated in ways that, uh, that fill books. But the question asked in the authentic self, level one, is, is, is knowledge controlling you or are you controlling knowledge? So are you externally driven or internally driven? That awareness to know that you can change it at any point in time. And the first question beyond that is, am I, living being, am, am I a living being regardless of my knowledge, which exists only because I exist? So the knowledge I have only exists because I exist. I mean, that's just true. It's so simple, but so powerful. The second one is preference. The level two is preference. And, we'll, and the degrees of attachment get more and more entrenched as we go along through these five levels. Level two is preference. Is knowledge controlling you? Are you controlling knowledge once again? I use knowledge as a tool by which I engage my preference in life. And so he uses the example in these chapters of um, a, a sports fan, someone that has a, that's attached to a sports team. And I started thinking about the Oilers because if you live in Edmonton, you hear a lot about the Edmonton Oilers. They're a hockey team here, if anybody didn't know them. They play on a regular basis. They've been rebuilding. They're rebuilding right now for seven years. And so in preference, we pick a team to root for. So let's say we pick the Oilers to root for because that's a popular idea in Edmonton. And what happens when we're in preference, we're in level one of preference, is what we decide is that, that um, 
I watch the game, and when the game's over, I go, that was great. That was so entertaining. Oilers might have won. Oilers might have lost. Did they make the playoffs? Did the Oilers make the playoffs this year? <laughs> might have made the playoffs, might have not made the playoffs. But it's okay. You know? It's like John Maxwell used to tell a story about people in this level talking about preference, and they'd say, well, we don't really care. We just love to go bowling. What we love about bowling together on my bowling team is that we have all these guys, and we get together, and we have all this fun, and we just like to, we like to go bowling. And he says, okay, well, then just get rid of all the pins, and then you'll go bowling and just throw the ball down the alley with no pins down there, no score. They're like, well, that wouldn't be any fun. Of course not. You know, it's that difference between the activity and then there's a, an attachment to results. There's attachment to achievement. There's attachment to, to competition. But the, so preference is really that, that attitude to take it or leave it. And, and we decide. We're in the awareness. We decide. So it's not a bad thing. It's just that if we're going to root for our team, we root for our team. When the game's over, we don't let it affect our lives, which takes us to, to level three. It's, I, we identify with it. I identify myself with knowledge, although I use it to see and understand the world. So knowledge becomes more and more important, and we need all this. It's not that we can just be in the authentic self and not have some attachments and not have some passion. But what happens in level three is identity. You become a committed fan. You become a committed oiler fan. Your team partially defines your character. Team's doing good, you're doing good. I like it. I feel better when my team wins. You feel elated when your team wins and disappointed when your team loses. At this level, this team, this culture has become part of your identity. And no matter what the effect is, you've let an attachment change your persona. You might even at this level sit down with a Calgary Flames fan and talk about hockey. I mean, you still, you know, you still care. You'd have the, you'd have the, um, the identity, but man, you guys got a great team and we got a good team. Or you guys got a crappy team and we got a crappy team. Whatever, but you'd have the conversation. Level four is internalization where my identity in the form of my knowledge gives me the rules and guidelines by which I must live my life. So my association with my favorite team has now become an intrinsic part of my identity. Your team performance affects your self-worth. When reading the stats, you admonish players for making us look so bad. Because it's not just them playing bad, it's all of us. That's our team, and and when they suck, I suck. I've seen your Facebook postings. I know what you're talking about. When reading the stats, you admonish players for making us look so bad. If the other team wins, you get angry. You make excuses for your team, your life, and your attachment. And number five, level five, is fanaticism. This is where fan comes from. My knowledge controls my every action. Totally exterior driven. My knowledge, my knowledge controls my every action. A rigid approach to knowledge with an excessive intolerance for opposing views. So you see somebody in another team's jersey or sweater, they're the enemy. And see, this, just happens, this doesn't just happen in sports. It happens in politics. It happens in religion. It happens in families. It happens in, you know, you got members of your family you don't talk to? How many people here have members of the family you don't talk? Go ahead, put your hands up. And then come on up and tell us a story. Come on. No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. But, I mean, these things happen. They're the enemy. And not just some of it, but, uh, but it's interesting how, and these, and we're, myself included, we're in and out of these things in various areas of our, our lives. You know, when the, when the crystals fell, it wasn't that I was planning that, but I, I, for a long time I thought, you know, there, there's a glass, glass table, the little ones come up, and I saw them dancing, and you see it rock, and it's, for weeks I've been like, oh, what are we going to do? But then I always forget, you know, service over, I leave. And they finally fell, and they fell in the right and perfect way because there weren't any little ones standing there, and no one got, well, Brown got a little cut but, uh, on one finger. But, but, um, but all of it happened as well as it could happen, even though what we had there 
broke. But it's perfect because I realized, wow, if it's going to fall over rather than the children be here, it just happened in, in the right and perfect way. And then I got to look at my own attachment to it. And I thought, well, you know what, I'll, I'll glue it back together. And, and as I say, I was happy that nobody was hurt. So there's the five levels. There's the authentic self. There's the preference. There's the identity. There's the internalization and the fanaticism. And what I want to do, I want to show you a video, and then I'm going to talk a little bit more about how we make the journey from levels to levels to levels. So this is a, if you wouldn't mind, Sue's turning off the lights, and I'm going to have Suzanne put the video up. This is a study that was done a number of years ago. It's two monkeys, and you may have seen it on Facebook, but I think it illustrates uh, attachment and, and fanaticism. So. so a final experiment that I want to mention to you is our fairness study. Uh, and so this, this became a very famous study, and there's now many more, because after we did this about 10 years ago, uh, it became uh, very well known. And we did that originally with capuchin monkeys, and I'm going to show you the first experiment that we did. It has now been done with dogs, and with birds, and with chimpanzees, um, with, but with Sarah Brosnan, we started out with capuchin monkeys. So what we did is we put two capuchin monkeys side by side. Again, these animals, they live in a group. They know each other. We take them out of the group, put them in a test chamber. And there's a very simple task that they need to do. And if you give both of them cucumber for the task, the two monkeys side by side, they're perfectly willing to do this 25 times in a row. So cucumber, even though it's really only water in my opinion, but cucumber <laughs> is perfectly fine for them. Now, if you give the partner grapes, the food preferences of my capuchin monkeys correspond exactly with the prices in the supermarket. And so if you give them grapes, it's a far better food, uh, then you create inequity between them. So that's the experiment we did. Recently, we videotaped it with new monkeys who had never done the task, thinking that maybe they would have a stronger reaction, and that turned out to be right. The one on the left is the monkey who gets cucumber. The one on the right is the one who gets grapes. The one who gets cucumber, note that the first piece of cucumber is perfectly fine. The first piece she eats. Uh, then she sees the other one getting grape, and you will see what happens. So she gives a rock to us. That's the task. And we give her a piece of cucumber, and she eats it. The other one needs to give a rock to us. And that's what she does. And she gets a grape. And she eats it. The other one sees that. She gives a rock to us now, gets again cucumber. tests a rock now against the wall. She needs to give it to us. And she gets cucumber again. <laughs> so this is basically the Wall Street protest that you see here. So I'm, I've asked the ushers to bring down the left side. We'll get, have cucumber over here and grapes over here. But it is interesting, um, what a refle reflection of, of in inequality, which is we can, we can move into that uh, perspective in life, that, and, and we see other people having things in our lives, and it can put us right into this entrenched, um, really sort of a, a victimized consciousness, awareness. So how do we move out of these levels of attachment? 
And the, the first movement is from level five, which is fanaticism. And I hope you share a little bit, Martin, again, about what you shared at the first service about. It's just so beautiful and such a good fit. But fanaticism, that we're fanatical, that, you know, that, that our team is the team, our tribe, our nation. You know, when we see it, it leads to a lot of conflict in the world when we become fanatical about things and, and to protect things. So what happens in that is we, it, it's, it's a loss of humanity. When we're in fanaticism, we, we lose our compassion, we lose our willingness to see the other person's point of view, the perspective. And, and so when, we're, when we see people entrenched in certain ways of being and doing and deciding and choosing from that perspective, there's just simply a shutting down of the heart. The heart closes, and there's, and there's not enough. There's not enough anything. And, and so for myself, I look in those areas of my life where I, do, I continue to do that. Because I'm not going to stand here and tell you there aren't times in my life when I still do that. Because there are. But what I realize is I've done my own, my own work and my own prayer work. Because prayer, what prayer does, prayer, done in, uh, prayer moves us from, it takes us out of the intellect and it moves us into the, the soul and the spirit. And it is when we create a state of grace... That, that some wonderful things can happen. But there's a mystery about it. And so we, are, we consider ourselves the science of mind, which I always think is sort of a limitation in what we do. You know, our goal is a world that works for everyone, and yet when I ponder that, the world does work for everyone. Consciousness precedes experience in the world. What, and so when people say that, I don't know what Reverend Catherine's idea of what a world works for everyone is. So when we make it subjective, which is that it's based on our own opinions, our own attachments, then what does that look like? Does everyone have a three-bedroom, two-bath home with two cars in the driveway, the world that works for everyone? Because there's probably not enough resources on the planet for that. But, but at the level of consciousness, the, the world does work for everyone. But what it can happen is, I believe, is that as we crack open at the level of heart and we move from this fanaticism that our tribe is the number one tribe and we must protect it at all costs, whether it be within our individual families or our communities or our nation, for me, that's what suggests the world that, that lives in compassion, a world that, that distributes resources in a way that's more equitable, where there's hunger, the... the, the, the uh, uh, things can be addressed where there's clean water needed and there's a lot of wonderful things happening around that but there's more to do so the first step in the moving from, from fanaticism to internalization is the first step is love and respect for self and others the first step is self love for self and others so we have to put down some of what our, our, our entrenched beliefs are and realize those people are doing the best they know how and am I doing the best I know how? And so there's a, there's a series of, of questions to ask ourselves after we decide we're going to offer ourselves some love because it has to start with ourselves first. We can't offer what we don't have. And then to start extending that into the world. But this is the story of life. This is the story of the evolution of the planet. And so it's the respect for self and for others is the beginning of letting go of fanaticism. And the questions that we can guide us in that are, do I really believe this? Do I really believe that someone that, that, that worships in a different way than I do is inferior? Do I really believe that someone that has a different skin color than I do is inferior or doesn't deserve or doesn't... Or, 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 or do I really believe that a nation that has, 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 uh, has created a, um, a situation that led to war 
continue to need to be punished and punished and punished or discriminated against or limited in some capacity. And it's, and it's not about being a victim because it's also about understanding the, the dynamics of this. But if we're ever going to get there as a planet in a world that works for everyone, then we have to start to open our hearts up to a greater love for ourselves and for others. The question is, do I really believe this? Then, then why do I believe this? Do I believe this to protect myself because there's not enough? Do I believe this because um, um, all of the reasons that I have? And so, and then the third question, does this belief serve me? Does this move me into a greater spaciousness and an opportunity for to be that authentic self at that level one that we're talking about and moving our way through? But we see so much of this fanaticism on the planet. And is it healthy? And does it move us? And does it allow us to thrive? And it doesn't mean we give up a responsibility. It doesn't mean that we don't verify, you know, like... Uh, uh, you know, the politicians will say, you know, you, you, you got to have the agreement, and then you got to verify. Because we need checks and balances in our lives in every area. But the point is, is that when we stay in that entrenched position, there's nothing, nothing can change. To move from level four, from internalization to identity, we begin to make the choice not to believe it anymore. Just simply say, I'm not going to believe this anymore. And then... We get to use the four agreements that Don Miguel Ruiz Sr. identified for us. Be impeccable with our word. Don't take things personally. Don't make assumptions. And always do your best. Really simple but really difficult. Now, can I be impeccable with my word all day long? Am I mindful? Do I catch myself saying things that aren't true? Making promises I can't keep? You know, all of those things that go on. It's really hard. It's really hard when you're in the world. And, yet the, and so if we can't do it right now, it doesn't mean we give up on it. It just means we look at it. We continue to work. It's practice. Level three, identity. Level, uh, level three, identity to level two, preference. And preference is, is the realization that you and I can take off the mask that we wear at any point in time. time. And so... I have a neighbor that... Uh, she's inspired so many great talks... And so what's happened is she lives in this tiny little house across from us. It's basically the size of a, a large fishing shack. And, um, and so um, she's got her, her adult daughter and her boyfriend living there. And Laura always, always says to me, how do three people live in that place? I said, I haven't a clue. But anyway, so she would really like her daughter, who's in her mid-20s, and her boyfriend to move out. And this has been a discussion that she and I have had for several months. And I've always been encouraging her and say, look... You know, you have nothing wrong with getting them launched. You've got to get them out there, empower them, you know, they be on their own, all this stuff. And, and uh, so she said, to me, she said to me about a week ago, she said, I've got a great idea. And I said, what? She says, I'm going to sell my house and move in with my parents, and they're going to have to go find a place to live. <laughs> and I thought, what an interesting strategy. <laughs> but much easier than having the hard conversation. Um, anyway, the cell fell through, so they're still living there. But now she found out that the two, kid, the two young adults have gotten jobs in Saskatchewan for five months. I said, this is great, Jeanette, this is great. You can sell the house while they're gone, and when they get back, they won't know where you went. <laughs> but she wouldn't be impeccable with a word. She's taken all this personally. She's making assumptions they won't track her down and move back in with her. And I think she is trying to do her best. But preference is a realization we can take that mask off. He, he, he does a wonderful uh, little vignette in the book, and he talks about he's got a preference. 
Well, he's probably got more than that. He's probably got an identity with his football team in San Diego where he lives. He loves the San Diego Chargers. And he said he was watching a game one Sunday and the sound went out. And so he said, you know what? I'm going to watch this game because his dad said to him, the biggest demon in the book talks about the biggest demon. The biggest demon is love. And he said, how can that be, dad? I mean, love is what makes the world go round. And you and we're all love. And he said, think about it. And he realized that when the sound went off in the game, he decided to watch the game, not from the perspective of a fan, but just as someone had never seen a football game before. I mean, if you think about that, what if you went to your first Oiler game and you didn't know, have any allegiance, didn't know what was going on, never seen a hockey game before in your life? You just watch it. And you go, wow, this is, this is really interesting. But you'd have no preference, you'd have no attachment, you wouldn't know anything. So he said he watched the, whole, the first half with no sound because the sound went out, and he just watched it from the perspective of, of, the, of seeing it for the first time. And he said it was totally different because the sound came on in the second half. And as soon as the announcers were back on, they were talking about the players that, that uh, held out for more money and, and the stats about who was, who was valuable, who wasn't valuable, who shouldn't be on the team, what was going on, all of these things. That, so all of a sudden, those voices are informing him. And his opinion kicks in, and then his preferences kick in. And he said, I realized how those voices, on the, 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 the commentators' voices, are a reflection of the voices that go on in our heads. What if we didn't have all those voices going on in our heads telling us who deserves, who doesn't deserve, who should be on the team, who shouldn't be on the team? What if we just stood in the pristine moment of our authentic self and said, wow, this is a new moment? See, we're a teaching called new thought. We teach newness. And what I know about for myself is if I don't do my prayer work, if I don't do my house cleaning, there's no room for newness. There's no room for healing. There's no room for deepening. That's one of the great things I loved about going to Brasilia with John of God is when you step into that, your mind shuts off. You know, the second day there, I was looking out, people were talking to me, and I was sort of staring out over the horizon. And they said to me, you got the Abhijandi stare going on. And really what it was was that emptiness, that place of just, it was timeless. And, and, and there's something that, that happens while you're there in that environment because it all shuts down. You're in your authentic self. There's nothing to figure out. There's nothing to have an opinion about. And that's why they keep such a good eye on you because your discernment sort of goes out the window. And they always say, just stay around here, stay around here. And they got a little name badge on you. And, and they say, you know, if you get lost, just tell people you're with Heather because the woman that owns the hotel, everybody in town knows her. So they can get you back there. And there's not too far to wander off, but you could if you wanted to, I guess. But the point is, is that you're in that state of authentic self. This, from preference to level one, the authentic self is simply disengaging from our preferences at will and stepping into the authentic self. We can disengage and re-engage at will. So it doesn't mean we don't root for the Oilers, and it doesn't mean we don't have certain colors we like. I mean, Laura and I put in flowers the last two days. I want to get those flowers in, man, because it's... I, see, and that's my preference. People come driving by, and I'm putting flowers in, I'm digging, and I'm cultivating the soil, and this guy pulls up in this vintage convertible, and he goes, ha, 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 boy, that's a lot of work. And I just thought, man, are you kidding? And I said, well, it can be. But for me, it's the, the joy of... I See, as I get older, I love watching beauty, and I love watching things grow. I never planted a flower in the first 40 years of my life. And now it's like, oh my gosh, this stuff. And, I, and then I look every day and I'm, I, you know, I go out and I water them and I tend them and it's such a great metaphor for my life. What am I, what am I watering in my own thinking? And I love it because in a, in a, you know, everything explodes here. It's like we're under snow for so long and <laughs> there's no spring. I tell people there's no spring here. There's no spring, there's no fall. We go right from winter. We go right from good sledding to poor sledding. We go right from winter to summer. 
It explodes. And, I, and, and you know, for Laura and I, it's sort of a ritual now of, 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 of planting. But it's not work for me. You know, and this guy's there, and he's, he's, and he's given me his commentary on, oh, you sucker, you a lot of work, I uh, pity you, you're going to have to take care of it all summer. And yeah. I, last year, I'm in Home Depot, and I'm grabbing a bag of grass seed and some fertilizer, and this guy I never saw him before goes, no, 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 don't do it. I'm like, what? He says, you'll be cutting grass every week. <laughs> okay, so I had, to, I had to let him leave the place so I could buy this stuff. Okay? I mean, isn't it an example of how it's like, I hate cutting grass, and this poor sucker's going to be cutting grass all summer? Okay. What if I like cutting the grass? What if I like picking the dandelions? I have people in my neighborhood, they love dandelions. I can tell because they're all over their yard. Yeah. You can make wine with those, I understand. Do you make wine with them? Oh, you eat them? That's a good idea. I thought about that too. I said, this is a great crop. It grows overnight like that. It's a commercial crop. Anyway, I've been picking them out. Would you like me to save the ones I pull for you? Okay. The tea, okay. Anyway, so disengaging from preferences at will, stepping into the authentic self, we can disengage and re-engage at will. And the point with all of this is that, that what I think is so important is in the moment, the practice is that we can, we can find a place to love ourselves in this moment. We can find a place to love ourselves in this moment and it's not contingent on us making changes. Because then we, we come into a conditional relationship with ourselves. And so the willingness and the ability with all of our imperfections and all of our secrets and things that people don't know about us because that's the mask, to take the mask off for ourselves and just love ourselves in this moment and, and, and allow that to be our practice. And in a way that is deep and nurturing and honest to ask ourselves the questions, why do I believe this? What do I believe? Does this benefit me? Does this move me in the direction of where I want to go? Because what I know about our teaching that can be so powerful, and it's so easy to hear this stuff over and over again and not do the work. This is really, really rigid work spiritually. You know, in Abhijani, it's not when John of God, the experience, what I'm talking about. When you go there, what I loved about it was they would say that if you come with a, a healing, something you'd like healed, it's not pixie dust. We don't just, you know, it's just not magic. You, you can come and sit in this vortex of unconditional love. If you've seen the movie, it talks a great deal about that. There's an energy bubble there. But it requires our, our work. Our 50% is to continue to look at our consciousness, ask ourselves meaningful questions, do our forgiveness work, do our cleansing, do our, our house cleaning in our own spirit, in our own consciousness. And, and I think we forget how powerful that is, what a gift it is to the planet. We want to change the planet? We want to change the world. We want a world that works for everyone in a, in a larger way that's more inclusive and more generous and more creative and free. It's to do that work. And sometimes our attachment is to fix everything out there. Let's get that fixed over there, but I, I'm, you know, then I don't have to worry about this right here. But the challenge is, is to do this work, this work, and then that work is totally different. You know, Martin's going to come up and sing a song for you in a minute here. And, you know, this man is an artist in life. Toltec means artist. And I love his consciousness. You know, you, you, meet, you see that in, in someone and you just, you know, I'm for that. Just a beautiful, beautiful artist. This is his third CD. 
um, that he's put together. But he could have said, okay, I did one CD, that's it. That's all the music I got. And you better like it. He'd be very attached to that, wouldn't he? Would you be inspired to be a... To, if, I, if I did the same talk every Sunday, would you come back and hear it 52 times? If I said this is the definitive... But there's always more to know and always more to do and always more to offer. And all of us are artists in that, to be open to that. But when we're entrenched in things, when we're a fanatic or when we're identified with those things, that conversation gets diminished. And so to have that spaciousness of, of the non-intellectual and as well as the intellectual, I'm, I'm not discounting one for the other because... Um, when we're always off into the, the mystical and the mystery, we probably don't function as well here as well. And so it's having the preference to say, now this is my time for meditation. Now this is my time to, to welcome new ideas. Now is this my time to be about my business. I find when I'm planting flowers, the ideas are flowing. When I'm, when I'm putting together a talk, the ideas are flowing. When I'm in my meditation, my, the ideas are flowing. It doesn't stop for me. I find in all of my activity, the ideas are flowing. But I didn't, always, I, I didn't always have the perception to know that. And that's the development. And it continues to develop and continues to deepen. And I'm a work in progress like you are. So it's a beautiful thing. But if we're going to, to, be, to bless this planet with the gifts that we have and, and be that expression of what we talk about from that authentic self, then isn't it wonderful to have people like Don Ruiz Jr. come along and talk about levels of attachment that we can identify with and see where we are on that, that continuum of, of attachment? and to be able to put some things down. So it's a beautiful, beautiful opportunity. It's a beautiful teaching to have, a beautiful context to have in our lives. We can stop beating ourselves up and stop uh, diminishing ourselves and just look at it for what it is and realize this is just another idea that I grabbed onto. It's powerful, beautiful, and wonderful. So thank you. Enjoy your long weekend. Love, blessings, joy, and continued great health for all of us. So it is.